We are in Matthew chapter 3 this morning, uh, kind of picking up where we left off, and John the Baptist appears. But it's kind of interesting, like when we prepare for the Christmas season, there's a lot of preparation that's necessary. And as we're preaching through that, I mean, there's just no way to deal with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John without talking about the 400 years of silence. So God's doing stuff, and then there's this pause, and then God does stuff again, and that's that 400 years. And so you would think that when the Christmas stuff happens, that, okay, now we're ready to go. But think about this. <laughs> so the shepherds, and then the wise men, and then the baby in the, in the manger, and all of this stuff. And, and they even take him when he's a little baby. They take him to the temple, and, and the prophet, uh, Simeon, says, and, and the rising and the falling of many in Israel. And Mary's listening to this, and her kid's like still literally like young, right? And then what happens? Like, there's almost no stories about Jesus for a long time. Um, between Matthew 2 and Matthew 3, and in Luke's gospel, all going into, going into Luke chapter 3 and 4, there's 30 years of silence. It's literally Christmas comes and then silence again. 30 years. I, I mean, don't you wonder and don't you, like, wish you knew exactly what Jesus' teenage years were like? Like, how can you be a teenager and not mess up life? Jesus is the only example that we know about that, right? So I, I wish I knew what Jesus was like during that time period, but we don't. It's interesting that there's something that is happening. We, we know that one time, you know, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the mall and got lost, right? Which, by the way, there was a big marketplace at the temple there, and so it's not that far an exaggeration. How many of you got lost at the mall when you were a kid, Right? So they're up on that Temple Mount area, and they got Solomon's colonnade on one end of it, and Jesus gets lost. And you had that encounter when he was 12 years old, but other than that, there's not much. He just, he goes back, most likely begins to learn the trade of his father, as he also follows the will of his father. And he just, he grows. He, he just, in that sense, he's just like a normal guy. Most likely becoming either, we don't know if Joseph's dad was a carpenter of wood or more of a stonemason, but we do know that he took that very seriously and he grew up and people were definitely uh, like aware of this young man and how he could uh, understand things. His wisdom was beyond his years. They didn't fully understand why. I, I was thinking about like for Mary, right? I mean, 30 years go by and she knows that something big is happening. And I mean, honestly, I have a hard enough time waiting for my kids to do four years of college successfully, right? Imagine like Mary, it's like Jesus is 28. Okay, so like when is all of this stuff going to happen? Like when is all those things that the angel said going to happen? I really think that you and I underestimate the value and the importance of preparation. When I decided to go to Bible college, I remember telling my dad, I want to go to Bible college, and in four years, I'm going to learn how to be a pastor so that I can be a pastor for the rest of my life. It'll take me about four years. And my dad said to me, wow, because it took Jesus 30. <laughs> yeah. But I'm me. <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's interesting, like preparation biblically is a, an important concept, like it deeply, deeply matters. And not only that, but we actually see in this, what we would call decades of silence that exists, not complete silence from God. 
Like there is someone who is going to come up on this scene and he's going to begin to speak. And this one who is going to speak actually has been sent by God and he is going to be preparing the way. So while Jesus is preparing, there is one who is coming. We learned about him actually in Luke's gospel. It is his it is his cousin, John the Baptist, who comes along. And John, Baptist, John the Baptist's role is to prepare the hearts, to till the spiritual soil of the souls and the hearts of those around them. More than just the hearts, the minds of Israel. Because a kingdom is coming. And, and this is the part that I've always personally wrestled with. Like if the kingdom is going to come, then it's going to be obvious and we're going to see it. It's going to be like simple. It's going to make itself known. And, And yet, as we see in the scriptures, the scriptures don't even describe it like that. Jesus never said just, you know, oh yeah, it's going to be so obvious. No, he's going to say things like this. It's going to be so obvious that those of you who aren't paying attention are probably still going to miss it. Okay, well, is it obvious or not? And Jesus will say things like, like for those who are seeking, they will find it. For those who pursue it, they will find it. But for those who are not paying attention, I love one of my favorite words that Jesus says. I think about it a lot personally. I've warned it over my children. Jesus says this one time. time, He actually says, be careful how you hear. Be careful how you hear. Because we can hear a lot of very critical, important things and not pay attention. But there is this one, and he comes, and he is John, and he is prophesying, he is speaking about this Jesus who is coming. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what it says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. The the word literally just means in the deserted areas, those areas where um, there are no people. There's no inhabitants. It doesn't mean desert, sand, sand dunes, camels. It literally means like nobody is around in this area. He is down in the Judea, which would be the southern part of that particular, uh, the, the nation of Israel, near the Jordan River, probably just north of the Dead Sea. Verse two, what is his message? And his message is this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's John's message. What I want you to be aware of, John is saying, speaking to good, God-honoring, God-following, at least in their own minds, John is speaking to them. John, John didn't go to Vegas to preach. John didn't go to San Francisco or New York or Washington to preach. Like John showed up in um, St. Louis. Like he, he's, in the, he's in the Bible Belt. John is preaching this message, and his message for good folk who say they love God, who think they are doing the things of God, his message is rather simple, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That, that's his message. And that message, repent for the kingdom of God is coming, or is at hand, is actually what we need to hear in order to respond when the king actually comes. Now why, verse 3 says, for this is he, and he's talking, Matthew now is describing who John is. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Because in in the mountains there are hills, and in the valleys there are valleys. And what 
what, what John came to do is to take that which is high and to make it low, and to take that which is low and to make it high, that which is crooked and to make it straight. It, it literally, it describes this like reorganizing and this following the way, which is one of the best ways to understand what God's word is all about. It, it is his way. It is this path. And John is going to prepare this path for the one who is coming. Verse 4, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized, they, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins, which it clearly, by the way, is a part of this repenting process. I need to repent of my sins. <laughs> sins that I have done, and, and this is important for good, good people to realize, and sins where I know what to do and I haven't done it. The Bible describes not just sins of commission, those things that we know. I know it was wrong and I did it. I knew it was wrong and I did it. But there also is a rebellion that exists in our hearts where I know what to do and I'm not gonna do it. Like, I know what to do, and I'm not going to get around to it. And we're guilty of all of it. I, it is good for us to realize. This is why we love to bring up this concept of repentance as a church. Because it means so much more than just feeling bad about what we've done. It means so much more than just being committed to stop doing bad things. It literally is rearranging our mind around the truths about God, who he is, and his plan for the world. Who he is and his plan for us. That's what repentance is all about. And so essentially what we see here in the coming of John the Baptist is a new old message. When Joe was up here talking about communion, it was like, yeah, Joe, it's about Genesis. And yeah, it's about Exodus. And yeah, it's about, and it's also about Matthew. It's, God's not coming along saying, hey, I got a new plan for you. God, new and improved. No, it's the same message from the very beginning. This is what I told you. You decided to live another way. You need to change your mind, which, by the way, is what that word repent means. I will say it until, I am, uh, until I'm dead, blue in the face. But what it means to repent, literally the Greek word metanoia means change mind. See, you see how it's so much deeper and richer and more full than just, yeah, I really gotta stop doing that thing. It's no... I need God. I need another way of looking at my life. I need another way of looking at my finances. I need another way of looking at my marriage. I need another way of looking at this world. I need another way of looking at the decision that's going to happen in November of this year. I need another way of thinking about my neighbor. I need another way of thinking about like myself. That's what it means to repent. And John comes to prepare the hearts for Jesus Christ who is going to speak. Verse 7. What is this new old message? But, as John is preaching, when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, welcome, I am glad that you came this morning. And by the way, at the end of our services, we would love you to stop by our information center because we have a gift for you. We have tailor-made this entire service with you in mind. And would love to talk with you about your spiritual pilgrimage, no matter where you go. May God bless you. And remember, family first. Okay? Is that what he did? Oh, by the way, that's what churches do. Like, that's what we can almost do, isn't it? But that's not John's message. That's not John's message. 
John, and by the way, it doesn't mean that this is the only message we should preach. So it, I'm not saying that either. But John's message is a message that we don't talk about very much. And John's message actually comes like this. For those people, and, and there are, like in this room, there are those who are seeking, and there are those who are more like spiritual voyeurs. They're really just kind of coming to watch other people watch. Like their heart isn't really connected to this. And John says to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath that is to come? Verse eight, because you think you're religious. Like you, you think you're following God. You know how to look the part, smell the part. You know how to pretend to, to, to play the part. But verse eight, this is so important, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, which shows you that it's not just about changing our mind, it's about so much more than that. Bear fruit, follow along, trust in, live in this repentant, this repentant mindset and lifestyle that you have. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In verse nine, this is so good for us to hear. And do not presume to say to yourselves, well, my grandma went to church and that's good enough for me. Do not presume to say to yourselves, well, listen, I read my Bible this year like Jim told me to, and therefore I think I'm good. Like, don't presume to say, hey, listen, like I was born in America and we're a Christian nation, at least we should be, and therefore I think I'm fine with God. Now, for them, it says this, and do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, because that's what they're claiming on. For I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones up children for Abraham, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. So this preparation that John is preaching, Jesus isn't just decades away, he is on the doorstep. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, this is what Jesus would continue to say, is cut down and thrown into the fire. What John is trying to get through people's minds is this, is it is just so critical that you recognize the need to stop. Like you just need to stop and pay attention to what's going on around you. Like don't pretend that you know what is happening, what God is doing in the world. Like you need to stop and to reflect upon it. Don't just sit and observe, but actively engage what God is doing. Do you know what it means to stop? My wife doesn't like it when I do that rolling stop. By the way, neither do the police. So I can't really blame her. But you know what I've learned how to do? I have learned how to stop and literally come to a complete stop and then tear out of there as soon as I'm done coming to a complete stop, which I know may still also be illegal, Mr. John. But does anybody know how to do that? Hey, I stopped. I did. I promise you, I stopped. And then to make up for lost time, And that's what we do spiritually. We, we can say that we came to a stop, but we really didn't. I don't know how many of you like illustrations, but I was given one that really helped me see what God was doing, and I want to share it with you. So you're going through life. We all are. We're going through life. There's this um, day by day, week after week, month after month. And, and by the way, all these things are happening in the world and in our lives. Um, there's church, but there's also great, you know, basketball games and football games. There's our kids' sporting activities. There's, we're going through life, okay? 
And then have any of you ever had one of those aha moments when you know that God is saying something to you? Have you ever had that? Like, wow, God is saying something, and X marks the spot. And now all of a sudden, what do I do with this? Right? So raise your hand if you've ever had a God moment where you know he is telling you something. See, so last week when I say, most of you haven't, by the way, um, we'll talk later about that. Okay, but here's what I want you to see, is that it is so important. I said last week that I believe that God speaks to us today. I believe, like, that's not all that I'm talking about, but that's part of what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to have what is hopefully a Holy Spirit conviction? You know what it's like to go through life and realize, I think God's not only telling me to stop, but he's wanting me to respond to this critical information. Now, now most of us, when we have these convictions, also have lunch. <laughs> so we're literally kind of going through and, hey, I have this really powerful moment. Want to go to Mexico Joe's? <laughs> Salsa, you know, it's like literally walking through and then, but we got to do other things. Like what time is the game? What time's the game today? We got to go on. And so we really don't pay attention and what happens when we decide, not intentionally. We don't go, I don't want to do that. Just life is going by so fast that we fail to do anything about it. And, and here's what I think happens. When we believe that God is saying something to us and we don't do anything with it, like we become less. Like we, we head in a wrong direction. Think about it. Like whether you intentionally said, no, I don't want to do that, or you went, eh, I'll think about that later, and then I, you don't get around to it, is not the result the same? Is it not the same result? God has spoken, and for whatever reason, willful disobedience or your schedule is so busy, it's the same thing. And th this is what concerns me about my own heart, and I, I think we share this is that what happens when I get into the rhythm or the habit of knowing God is saying something and then not getting around to it? When I do that to my wife, when she says, hey, I need you to do this and I don't get around to it, she feels like I don't love her. Why doesn't she get that what I do, even ignoring her, has nothing to do with how, she, like you would look at me and go, that's crazy. She has every right to believe that you relegating her to the sidelines, that you skipping over that for whatever reason, no matter what she's got. How many of you agree with me, right? She has every right to believe, doesn't she? How about God? We become less. We literally like condition ourselves to be disobedient. So what if instead of us just kind of blowing by that, for whatever reason, you, by the way, to, for the sake of argument, you can pick the most noble ones and they still look like failure, okay? What if instead of doing that, we actually did stop and we just spent some time changing our mind about it? You know what I, what I call that repentance. Like what if we stopped and said, listen, instead of me just you know, going on, I gotta deal with this. I gotta, like God's saying something to me, small, big. I, I have a friend and... God was saying something to him. God was wanting to even get really involved in this ministry, not even a ministry that we have here at the church, but God was asking him to deal with it. He began to pray and invite other people into his life to figure out what God wanted him to do. After he responded to it, it was just like, wow, I was obedient to what God wanted. Have you felt that? I have. But how many times have I missed it? Why? Because I haven't taken the time to turn aside and to, to literally to take my mind around this, this problem or this new path that God desires for me to take, this new way of looking at my marriage or my neighborhood, a new, new way of looking at some, some small little tucked away part of my heart 
and God wants to expose it? What if I just changed my mind? But what God does not want is for me to have all of these new ideas, change my mind, and then to really carry on and do the same thing. What does the text say? The warning against the Pharisees, bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. How many of you are really good at feeling bad? How many of you are really good at just having the greatest convictions, and I'm even gonna maybe do something about that, but then you never get around to it, right? The, the word that would be, I could use a phrase, it'd be this, trusting God's way. That's what it is, trusting God's way. Like putting my trust in what God wants. So I need to change my mind. The word for that is repent. And then I need to trust. I need to move out. I need to act. And the word for that, this may surprise you, is the word to believe. Like for example, if my kids were to come up to me and say, like, Dad, I don't think you believe in me. And I go, I sure do. When have I ever believed that you exist or don't exist? Like when have I ever, ever I, have I, oh, no, I don't think Maxwell exists anymore. I don't think Matt exists anymore. No, I totally believe in you. No, but dad, you, when I told you I was gonna take this class, you said I would fail it. Sure, but I believed you'd at least be there. We somehow intuitively know, but that's not what believe means. When you say, coach, I want you to believe in me. When you say, sweetheart, I want you to believe in me, what, what you're really saying is, like, I want you to believe these things are true about my character and my conduct. Like, I want you to, to live as though those things. I don't want you just to acknowledge my existence. So when you, you realize, like, when you were challenged, do you believe in Jesus and do you believe who he is? We're not asking, do you have an idea about his existence? We're asking you, are you willing to trust with your feet, with your life, who Jesus Christ really is? That's what the word means to believe, by the way. And we don't do that. God says stuff to us, we ignore it. Or we, we might begin to kind of wrap our minds around it, but we never step forward in it. But that's never what God wants. God wants us to recognize what he is doing. God wants us to respond to that truth in faithful obedience to him. And here's what I love. When we do that, when we take the time to think through and to kind of get our head around and to faithfully do what God wants us to do, big or small, we come flying out of that spiritual vortex in a completely different trajectory. Big or small. Have you ever heard the phrase spiritual growth? How many of you have ever heard that? Or to grow spiritually. One of my goals this year is to grow spiritually. What does that mean? Well, it means reading my Bible. No, reading your Bible is not spiritual growth. It means going on a mission trip. No, going on a mission trip is not spiritual growth. Well, it means giving more. You're a pastor, you know what I'm saying. Now, I, I'll, I've told other people this. Like, we really, that's not it. That's not it. You can read your Bible, go on a mission trip, give more. And none of those things, if they are not a recognized response to what God is doing in your heart and in your life, they don't lead anywhere. They lead nowhere. They are, it is dead-end religion is what it is. It's Pharisees, it's Sadducees, manu, or manipulating and, and manually trying to figure out spiritual things. But to be a follower of God, to be a follower of this one who is coming that John has preached about and to be a part of this kingdom is literally recognizing and responding to what God through the Holy Spirit or God through the word or God through the people of God responding to that and being a part of that incredible journey. That 
stopping, recognizing, and responding to what God is saying. That is spiritual. That's what it means to train myself to know how to live like Jesus. That's WWJD, not a bracelet. And the part that, I guess, has been really good for me to to realize, even though I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to say it took this long, is that, like, that's what it means when we say, hey, do you want to be a Christian? It's really not, do you want to go to heaven? It's really not, do you want to come to church? It's, right, here's how we would say it. Do you want to follow Jesus? That would be better. And what are we really saying? Like, do you want to recognize who God is, what he really is all about, and follow him? That's what the Bible says when Jesus, I want you to teach all my disciples how to follow me, how to obey me. That's what it means to be a Christian. I I like to stop and to think about this for a moment. You do realize um, that repentance and and then responding to that is so important. It is so critical that some of the things that we hear in our culture that are just, I, I would argue, mindless, like they take no real thinking through, can be actually avoided or corrected by just remembering this important process. For example, young man who lives with my family is Muslim. He called me one day and he asked me this question. Hey, Jim, do we follow the same God? I mean, the answer is no. And I said, well, let me, let me, let me just ask you some questions about my God. My God's name is Yahweh. Is that your God's name? No. Okay. Like, like my God called out Abraham, gave him a son of promise called Isaac, that your God? No. And then, like, there were the people and they were in Egypt and God called them out and smote the Egyptians. Is that your God? No. Okay. My God actually incarnated, put on human flesh. Is that your God? That is definitely not my God. Then I guess we don't worship the same God. Tell me about your God. And he did, different name, different story. I said, yeah, that's not my God. And here's what he said to me. I loved it. He said, I thought so but I'm taking like a world religions class at, you know, OSU. And they're telling me that like all these religions are the same God. And I just, I'm a little offended by that. And I just think it's kind of dumb. And I said, me too. (laughs) Think about this. Like if all the religions are the same, then what do I need to change my mind about? I'm just making up this stuff as I go. There's no repent. There's no conform your will to the will of the Father. It's, what do you want to do? It's like a, literally a buffet of spiritual ideas. Do you realize how fundamentally opposed this everything is fine philosophy is with the gospel? We had a phenomenal conversation. He thinks I should become a Muslim. I know he should become a Christian. And the relationship continues. You know all I want him to do? He comes to church sometimes. You know what I want him to do? I want him to recognize and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. That's all I want. And to follow him. See, that's what it means. See, there's different signs that we have in our lives. This is one I have in my office. I like it for a couple of reasons. One of them is right turn only. Like there's a spiritual lesson, right? Right turn only. 
this sign means a lot to me because it came from a place that means a lot to me. People always ask, what happened to that sign? I got this in Joplin, Missouri. We, we spent a lot of time just kind of helping out in that area after the tornado came. And I thought about this sign, and hear me, I, I know that this sign wasn't directing people to the way out, okay? I know that. But I keep the sign, and, and maybe you might think, ah, you're stretching it. I don't think I am, but it's okay if you do. <laughs> Sometimes the signs that we have in and of themselves really aren't the point. Like sometimes you can have the best signs and they still get kind of wrecked, don't they? Like, like it's not ever the sign that fixes or saves or helps people. The signs only point. <laughs> and I look at a sign like that and I realize, wow, even the important thing of right turn only, as important as as valuable as that might be, if you're not going to pay attention to it, it leads you nowhere. And destruction could easily come. That's why I'm here to tell you about the someone who is greater. John says this, for I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to baptize you and you come to me. But Jesus said to him, let it be so for now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. See, as much as John was really good at preaching, God's even better. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. I love the adage and listen to him in another encounter where God speaks. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And I hope your heart is ready. Like I hope you'll do more than just hear, but you'll actually respond because what we are dealing with with Jesus is Emmanuel or God with us. So here's what I would like to do as we close. And it will be a moment of silence. As I want you to think about something that maybe God is saying to you. I want you to stop. And I'll even give you a few moments. We have a little bit of time, so nobody panic. I promise you, there is nothing right now that is happening in the world more important than you listening to him. So I'm gonna stop talking, and I want you to think about what God is saying or doing to you. Now pray with me. God, I thank you for your kindness to us and for the lack of silence or maybe like in the silence you speak. God, may we realize that you are not here to be an idea for us to acknowledge your general existence, but for us to know you and to respond faithfully to you. Father, help us because we cannot do this on our own. We need your word. We need your people. We need you. And I pray, Father, that uh, this year and the years that come after it would be uh, just modeling 
uh, what it really looks like to recognize and respond to your kindness to us in Jesus. And it's in his name we humbly pray. Amen. Please don't get up right now. Here's what I want to do is uh, you are about to be handed. Go ahead, start handing them out. Grab one of those. Um, how many of you found that illustration, which I wish I could say, yeah, I came up with that myself. Um, not even the great and brilliant Scott Irwin figured that one out. We both were blessed to hear someone else teach us a great biblical truth. And we, we, we love that example. I, I mean, I use it all the time in my own mind, in my own thinking. Um, all it is is a way of thinking through what it means to recognize and respond to the Holy Spirit's work uh, in his word, in his people, and in himself. Um, and we want you to have that. I want you to have that and put it in your Bible. And know this, that at the end of our services, I always say, and if you would like help, like recognizing and responding to that, then please know you don't have to do it by yourself. That by the way, that, that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want or you could never get it wrong or I could never get it wrong. No, no, we need one another. We need other words from God and that's why his word comes to us. But we want you to have that, to think about that, to help one another know what it means, to ask some great questions like, what is God doing in your life and how are you responding to him? This is what, actually, I believe we should be doing with one another. And instead of just asking, hey, are you a Christian? Maybe we should start saying, hey, are you recognizing and responding to what God is doing and saying to you in so many different ways? Isn't that what it means to follow Jesus? You're not going through it alone. We are here. We would love to assist you, not because we have all the answers, not because we're the smartest people in the world, but because we are your brother and your sister in Christ. We love you guys. This Wednesday, Encounter kicks up again. Um, and so we would love to share that with you. Uh, we'll be in here actually teaching on the kings of Israel. Um, and so uh, for those of you especially that love history, I think you will absolutely love this series. Uh, but all of our kids programming kicks off again. And we look forward to seeing you then. God bless. See you Wednesday.